Uh, I wanted to share just a fun little uh, tidbit that I got this week. Uh, you know, we're, we're broadcast on television on Sundays at 10 o'clock and at 10.30. Anybody know what comes on at 10.30 on ABC? I did not know this. The Dallas Cowboys Special Edition. Any of you Cowboys fans? All right. Fun little tidbit because... <laughs> Every, every couple of months, they, they kind of give us the metrics just to see, you know, the, the number of people that we are reaching that are actually watching the broadcast because we want to be good stewards of that. And the gal that, that called me from ABC this week, she said, just something fun to know is that your church, Westgate, had more people watching than people watching the Dallas Cowboys Special Edition. <laughs> so, go Cowboys! There, it's a, and we just, we want to continue to pray because that is, a, that is a ministry that is designed for people that can't come to church. It's not to be a substitute for church. It's designed for people that cannot come to church or people that won't come to church yet. So you keep praying that God would use that in the ministry of our church. Well, today, uh, this is kind of a weird sermon. I'll tell you that straight up front because it was really one sermon and I'm having to break it up because I just bit off way too much when I, when I, laid out all of 1 Timothy, I just had way too much. Uh, and so I, I broke it down, calling it audible, I guess you could say. And so we're going to look at a little bit smaller hunk of it today. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 16. I'm just going to look at a couple of verses. We call it the so what of 1 Timothy, just what we were talking about with the kids. Because we find in here that Paul gets to that kind of the middle of the book and which he is explaining again to Timothy and everybody that would read this. He's saying, listen, I'm writing this Number one, because I can't come and visit you and explain this in person. And I'm writing this to you so that if I can't get to you, you will know how the people of God are to conduct themselves in God's household. It is a pivotal theme verse, not only for the, for the, uh, the book of 1 Timothy, but for us as Christians. The church is so undervalued in the world today, specifically in the Western world. In much of the world, the church is exploding in growth, and people are understanding the great value of the church. But so oftentimes, in the Western world, the church is greeted with a, with a yawn, because it possibly is that the expectations have been reduced so low that we don't really expect anything from the church, except when we want something from the church. And the confusion of the church, even this week, I was answering a voicemail in which someone called after hours and wanted us to meet their needs for their electric bill and for gas in their car. And the way they found us was not that they were praying for a church to go to. They just Googled churches that might be willing to help. And a lot of people think of the church just like that. Lest you think we're calloused, we provide for so many people. But we try to keep the focus on those within the church who are a part of the household of faith that we will talk about. But a lot of people believe the church is something that will help us out as a charity case. He says, although I hope to come to you soon, I am writing you these instructions so that this is the so what of this book. If I'm delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. Beyond all question, the mystery from which true godliness springs is great. And then he, he quotes a hymn. Here's an old hymn from the early church. He appeared in the flesh, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, and was taken up in glory. And that's how Paul concludes 1 Timothy chapter 3. 
As we look at this, we're going to be reminded of a truth that we've dipped on several different times throughout this book. And again, it is so important for us to remember that part of a church experience is to be reminded of truth. When Paul was writing this to Timothy, he wasn't saying, hey, listen, man, the last time we were together and I was trying to mentor you to be a pastor, I forgot to tell you how the church is supposed to behave. This is all repetitive stuff to Timothy. Timothy was in a very difficult situation, and so what he was doing is he was reminding him and encouraging him with fresh reminders. Sometimes we need fresh reminders. And one of those fresh reminders for us, again, is that behavior matters. Behavior matters, and beliefs guide behavior, personally and corporately. If we think back on the way that we see society or churches or families or schools, any institution, we would say that beliefs matter because they guide behavior. And so we look out in the world and we see so many different examples of how beliefs lead to these behaviors. And these behaviors are because of these beliefs. Paul was sending this letter to Timothy because so much was at stake. Do we believe that there's so much at stake with the church, our church, other evangelical churches? Do we feel like this is such an important institution in society? Do we believe that it is the one place that disseminates the truth of Jesus Christ? See, that's what Paul is trying to communicate to those at Ephesus, that were deluding the church. They were seeing it as less significant than it was because they were focused on other things than the truth. He says that there are house rules in God's house. Do you have house rules at your house? I bet you do. I bet you if I were to come over to your house and I had muddy shoes on, you would probably invite me to take them off before I stepped on your carpet. We all have particular rules of our house, but sometimes it's as if there are no rules in God's house. We come to God on our terms. And Jesus told a parable about that in Matthew chapter 22, verses 11 through 13. He invited people to come to the wedding feast. Everybody was invited. And then some people started showing up and they weren't dressed appropriately. And they were coming to the wedding feast on their terms. And Jesus said, you're not welcome here. Because why? You're coming on your terms rather than God's terms. Just think about it. And I've, I've used this before. I'll show you again. It's, it's a reminder to me on a regular basis is this little New Testament that sits on my, right next to my desk and it just says owner's manual. And it reminds me over and over and over that this is where the rules of the house are to be founded upon. They're not rules that we make up ourselves, but we look in God's word and we find the rules. You know, in our house, I think our kids would probably tell you that we had plenty of rules, maybe even thought that we had too many rules. But every house has rules, even if the rule is we don't have any rules. One of the rules that they would probably remember well, and whenever they would begin to complain around our house, I would share with them that I would love to hear your complaint. But the only problem is, today's Monday, and it's a no-complain Monday. And when they were young, that worked pretty well, because they're like, wow, I didn't know there was really a no-complain Monday. And then when it rolled over to Tuesday and they had the same complaint, I said, oh, I wish we could talk about that, but today is a no-complaint Tuesday. And they would, when they were young, it's like, wow, what a bummer. 
But as they got older, they just rolled their eyes because they realized that it was a no complaint Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, every single day of the week. We all have rules, and God has rules. And it matters how we behave as a church, not just with each other, but with those outside the kingdom of God. Behaviors matter, and beliefs guide behaviors much like a rudder guides a ship. That's why it's so important to teach truth, to focus on truth, and to look for Scripture to teach us the truth. See, the church can only function as God intends when we obey His rules. Think back at your house. If you have these rules and nobody abides by these rules, will your house function well? Probably not. We have rules for God's house founded in His Word, and when we abide by those, things will function well. The kids focused a lot on behaviors, and that's important. We need to behave a certain way as Christians, but we also need to function as Christians, and rules help us to behave so that we can function. If you're not behaving, there's total chaos, and you can't function and do what you need to do. A.W. Tozer said this, a hundred pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other. So if we are all tuning in to the same handbook and we are seeking to abide by those rules, all of us collectively, then we will function well. But if we all try to do it individually on our terms, there will be chaos just as it would be in an orchestra when everybody was tuned to their own pitch. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, foundational verse, Jesus said, I will build my church. It's just important for us to be reminded from time to time that this is not my church, your church, our church. We use all those terms, but it's whose church? It's Christ's church. So we must behave and operate under the terms of what he's assigned. Beautiful picture that we find from the, 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 the idea of the household. We oftentimes live in a very different environment than they did in the days in which this letter was written. People lived in homes that they had multi-generations living together. Grandma, grandpa, maybe an aunt, maybe an uncle, multiple family members, multiple generations. And they all lived under the rules of the patriarch. Wouldn't you love to be that guy? He's the guy that gets to make all the rules until he dies and then someone else gets to make all the rules. And what would happen when someone would get, when a, a woman would get married is that the son would take the time, and we see this all through Scripture, he would take the time to build an extension onto his father's house. Now, aren't we glad we don't live in that environment anymore? But what would happen? Remember, we are called the bride of Christ. And the bride would then leave her home to come live in this new home that had new rules. So she couldn't come in and say, well, back in my dad's house, we could do this. And they would say, you're not in your dad's house anymore. This is my dad's house, and we live by his rules, not even my rules, but his rules. That's a great reminder for us that we are the bride of Christ. Is the church significant? Jesus died for the church. He identifies 
with the church. He calls the church his body, and he is coming back for the church. And even now he is interceding for the church, the gathering of believers in Jesus Christ. Rules help us to function well. That's why it's so important that we're all tuned in to the same fork so that we can function well. How do we function? It gives us this beautiful description as we continue on. He says, the church of the living God, the pillar of foundation, and notice the definite articles that you see there if you want to join us at page 1846 in the Pew Bible. It talks about the fact that the church is of the living God, the pillar and foundation of truth, that beyond all question, the mystery from which true godliness springs is great. And then he gives us that, that hymn that we're going to look at a little bit closer in just a moment. The church is the steward of the truth, of the mystery, of the gospel, of the living God. Now that's a mouthful, isn't it? But for us to ponder that, it's not just the building at 6220 Westgate or the, the gathering that we have on Sunday mornings or Wednesdays or when we go out into the community. The church is the steward of the truth, of the mystery, of the gospel, of the living God. Think about society. God has created three institutions. Three. Not ten, not fifty, but three. And those three institutions for a society to function well involves, first and foremost, the family, the church, and the government. It's like a three-legged stool. And we think, well, there must be more. But you go through Scripture and you find that God established, first of all, the family. And then we have governmental authorities and we have the church. And they must all function well. But what happens? Many times, one or two legs of the stool get pulled away. We live in a time in which the desire is, let's pull the leg of the church stool off. How well will that work? We have a government, and again, this is just reality. This is not for us to, this is a no complaint Sunday, okay? Not for us to whine about it, it's just reality. That the government is trying to do what? It's trying to move the church off the scene and move the family off the scene. So that you can have one entity that kind of drives the ship. And here is Paul reminding us in a very powerful government-led city of Ephesus, he's saying there's three entities. You don't have to get rid of the government, but you want to make sure that your role in the family and the church and your involvement in government is strong. And here he is talking about the church. And what does the church do that the government doesn't do? It is the steward. We have many different examples in Scripture, but a steward is someone that takes someone else's resources and manages them. So what we have collectively as the church, this truth that we'll talk about in a moment, we are to steward that. God didn't give that stewardship to the government. He didn't give it to the educational system. He gave it to the church. And so we must guard that and steward that well. And that's part of what we're doing tonight, going out into the community to say this is the truth that we are stewarding as the church. We can't expect 
anybody else to go out and knock on doors and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. The church is to do that. The truth, we steward the truth. Notice it goes back and says, the mystery from which true godliness springs is this truth, the pillar and foundation. What Paul was thinking about, all the people there would have thought about, in the city of Ephesus is the temple of Diana. Massive structure, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, enormous facility. It had over 100 columns that were 60 feet tall. Now that, that's like six stories tall. And on top of it is this roof that was even larger than a football field. So you have this enormous roof sitting on these enormous pillars, and Paul is bringing this metaphor together and says, that's the church. The truth up here is supported on the pillars of what the church does, the foundation of the truth. That's our job, is to make sure that the truth doesn't fall. That's our stewardship. The Hagia Sophia is this, in, this used to be a, a mosque. It was built as a, as a temple. And when the Temple of Diana was corrupted and fell into disrepair, some of the columns there were taken to be a part of that great facility. Huge pillars. And Paul is saying, you are huge pillars to uphold the truth. The mystery of the gospel. It's not like it's so hard to unravel. It's the mystery that was shared in the Old Testament, communicated that Christ would come, a Messiah would come. So there's this mystery that people didn't completely understand, but they believed in the Old Testament. And then the mystery is revealed, and that mystery is Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Redeemer of our sins. And the mystery continues as you think about the gospel. The mystery that we can voice a prayer of repentance inviting Christ and asking him to forgive us of our sins and that the spirit would come and indwell us and transform us into the very image of Christ. And all of that would be a process that would sustain us until we join him in heaven. Unbelievable, the mystery of, of the gospel. And the gospel is that full expansion of what Christ does. It's not just we prayed a prayer and now we are saved. It is a full expansion of following hard after Jesus Christ with a fully surrendered, repentant life. The living God, 15 different times in the New Testament, you're reading through the book of Jeremiah, you find in there talks so much about idols. This was a term that was used predominantly in the Old Testament that is brought over into the New Testament to say, these are not dead idols amazed at some of the passages of scripture that we read is talks about what, how people would, would embrace idols. How Isaiah would write about them taking a log and they would cut it in half and they would make an idol with one piece and then with the other piece they would make a fire and they would cook dinner. And it's to say he is the living God. He is not a dead idol. In Ephesians chapter 2 verse 22 he would talk about that we are the church, God building this living dwelling. So as we see here in this passage of Scripture, behavior matters and is guided by be beliefs. And we see that the church is a steward of the truth, of the mystery of the gospel of the living God. And he kind of nets that out as he closes with this hymn. 
such an interesting hymn because this is not something that Paul wrote. And even though it doesn't say Jesus, the term he refers to Christ because that's what he's been referring to. And he says, he appeared in the flesh. Again, this is part of the mystery that God became flesh and dwelt among us as we see in John chapter one, as John would write about that later on, several decades after what Paul wrote here in 1 Timothy. He appeared in the flesh, that God actually appeared in flesh and walked in uh, human form, was vindicated by the Spirit. That is a reference to the resurrection because Paul would tell us in the book of Romans that Jesus Christ was proved to be the Son of God by the resurrection. That's how he opens up the book of Romans. Was seen by angels talking about just this supernatural experience of who Jesus was. You remember the angels were at the birth of Jesus, had angels at his baptism. We had angels at the temptation, the garden of Gethsemane, the resurrection, the ascension, and angels. Can you only imagine as the angels sang that Christmas day, that very first Christmas, as the angels sang about Christ coming to save humanity, can you only imagine what it sounded like when he ascended back? And they began to embrace the resurrected, victorious Lord. Was preached among the nations. It's just kind of a, a, a cliff notes of Jesus' life. He came, he died, was resurrected, was preached among the nations. And we know that uh, just from the experience of what happened after the resurrection, specifically Pentecost, that the nations believed in him was believed on in the world. It began to expand, and Paul is talking about even now as we think about the Mediterranean realm and all the churches that have come to know Christ in that area. And then was taken up in glory, the ascension. What Paul is trying to remind us as a church is what Jacob discovered in Genesis chapter 28, verses 16 through 17. You recall that story in which Jacob just laid down on a pretty normal night, and he had this encounter with God, and when he woke up the next morning, he said, God was in this place, and I didn't know it. The goal of the church is for people to be a part of a church and always know that God is here. And that's why we are going out this evening. Many people have walked through life unaware that God is here. Well, we are going to share with them. And for those of you that are, that are just mortified about going out and wondering what we're going to do, it's a very low, low bar. We're just going to introduce ourselves, let people know that we're here to pray for them. We're in the neighborhood praying for people. Ask them if they have any prayer requests and if they would like to receive a Bible. And the whole time we're handing them this card, and on this card it, it talks about how they can have a relationship with Christ. And if the conversation goes in a direction, you don't have to stay... On a, on a stilted script, you just kind of, that helps you to get into conversation. And most people will give you a prayer request and they'll want you to pray for them. And you have an inroad there. At that point, you might say, do you, do you already have a relationship with Christ? Are you still in the process of thinking about that? Very soft approach. Then you say, you know, on this card, it talks about Four things that we need to know. Go ahead and put your hand up. Go ahead and put your hand up, Lane. Chairman of the deacons, man, put your hand up. 
hands up four things that we need to know. This helps you remember. Number one, you guys have heard this for years. Do we have the next slide? <laughs> there we go. Four things we need to know. Second thing we need to know. There's two passages of scripture there. Isaiah 59, two tells us sin is what separates us from God. Romans 3, 23 says that everybody falls short of the glory of God. We're not better than anybody else by sharing this. We're simply saying that we're so glad that we've been saved by this. We want other people to know. So then we say, because there is this tension point that God loves us, but we're separated from this loving God because of our sin. But then here's the, the resolution of the problem is thankfully Jesus can make us right by, with, uh, with God. And then the fourth, It's a mouthful, but it's a reminder that, that we can be changed. What, what great news. We can be changed. And all of us long to be more than we are. But we're reminded that knowing those four things won't change anybody's life. We must do one thing, and that is completely surrender our life to Jesus Christ. If you've never done that, gathered with us today. I want to lead you in a, a prayer. It's just a model prayer. It's not a magic prayer. And if you would like to invite Jesus Christ to begin a relationship with him, you can begin with a prayer similar to this. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the truth that you have given us as a church, your church, to steward. You have redeemed us. You love us in ways that sometimes we get too distracted from realizing. And you have given us the chance to share that great grace with other people. If anyone gathered here today or listening online has never received you as Lord and Savior, never confessed and acknowledged their desperate need for you, might they voice a prayer similar to this? Lord Jesus, I recognize that I'm a sinner in desperate need of your forgiveness. Please forgive me of all my sins and become the Lord and Savior of my life. I surrender to you all that I am and all that I have, and I will follow hard after you the remaining days of my one and only life. Lord, thank you for the gift of Christ and your church. Help us to live up to your expectations and your house rules for how a church is to behave and to function. In your name we pray, amen. If I could have a couple of our really strong youth, do we have any strong youth in here? If you're really strong as a youth, come on up. And what I need for you to do is just uh, take, there they are, there are the men right there. What I want you guys to do is I want you to take this door and I want you to bring it out here in the kind of in the middle here where it faces this way. Just go ahead and bring that out here. And what, what we're going to do during this time of commitment as we prepare to go out into all these homes is I'd love for you as a congregation to come down and 
pray on both sides of the door. Because as we go out, it's for us on this side of the door. And then it's for those on the other side of the door to be exposed to the love of God. And so you just come up here and you figure out which side of the door you want to pray for. That's good right there, guys. Thank you. And you just come and pray on this side of the door for those of us going out. Or you can pray on this side of the door for those that will open the door and hopefully have an encounter with the living God. If you want someone to pray with you, note that our deacons for the triad for the month of October, they'll be standing in the back of these aisles. And you can go back there and pray with them. They will be glad to pray over you. They and their wife will be that back there with them. And uh, if you want somebody to pray, I'll be over to the cross as well. If you want to meet us after the service, right out there in the atrium, you can use this communication card and go to the Connection Center. We'd love to visit with you. So let's stand and respond now during this time of commitment.
Let's trust in him and what he is going to do through us on both sides of the door. See you next week.